You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Husker 24-7 podcast. I'm Brian Christofferson. I'm joined by Michael Brunts, has a backwards hat on, uh, A's hat, I can assume. Uh, Good assumption, yes. Yeah. Uh, well, it's it's been busy around here, old Bruncey. I mean, uh, Nebraska uh, adds another commitment um, on Thursday, a five-star prospect. Uh, former five-star prospect, I should say, in Eric Gilbert, uh, tight end. He's coming by way of Georgia. Uh, started his career at LSU. He was the number five rated player overall, correct, in the 24-7 sports composite in 2020, which I believe is the highest rated tight end there's been. <laughs> um, I mean, it'd be hard to top it. It was we didn't have Gronk that high back in the day, I don't think. So well the the I was laughing because in in the list of highest rated recruits ever to Nebraska, Chris Septak's name is always very high in the list, in part because he was you know, right around the dawn of, of internet recruiting sites. So he gets a lot of credit there. But yeah, I think he's I think Eric Gilbert is more highly rated than Chris Septak. Yeah, well I I I didn't even mean that. I meant, I think he's the highest rated tight end there's ever been like coming out of high school. Oh yeah. 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 I believe that's Uh, true. But yes, he, he, he's the highest rated Husker that's been on the roster as far as what he was as a prep prospect. Um, We're not going to try to overdo it with the hype though. I mean, you got, you got to recognize the significance of, um, I mean, that's sort of a landmark achievement there, you know, just the fact Nebraska added this guy, especially after the same week they added MJ Sherman from Georgia, who was a highly regarded recruit um, too. But we kind of got to spin it forward uh, with Eric Gilbert. So I'm going to spin the question to you, Bruns. Um, What's your initial reaction to this one? Um, He didn't play a lot at Georgia, but there's, you know, there's stuff he was, you're figuring it out behind the scenes. He was figuring it out, um, and and now he's got a fresh start at Nebraska. What what do you make of this one and and uh, the opportunity for him and uh, what it means for the Huskers? Yeah, it, it's. I mean, it's a it's a significant commitment. I mean, there's no way around that. And you you watch what the the player that he was in high school, and I mean, he played in a very high classification in Georgia, and he was head and shoulders above everybody he played against. Um, you know, he, he's a, just a freak athlete. He's actually pretty polished as, as a route runner, I think. Um, th- that maybe gets lost a little bit with, with uh, kind of talking about measurables and tools and all that other stuff. But, um, 
you know, he brings that to the table. He had a great freshman year at LSU on the field. Um, and then, you know, transferred to Georgia and had kind of an up and down time there. He didn't play in 2021. Um, had a great spring in, in 2022 uh, when, when Georgia had uh, some of its other tight ends out um, with injury. He, he had two touchdown catches in the uh, Georgia spring game last spring. And then in the fall, it was a little bit uh, hit or miss. Uh, he had, you know, one game where he had two catches for 16 yards and a touchdown. And there were a number of road games that he didn't even travel to. Um, so, you know, I, I think Nebraska, you know, certainly added a, a talented player. Um, you know, I, I just think that there's also – you know, some things that you have to have in place support system wise uh, for him to, to make sure that that transition in Nebraska is a good one. So, um, you know, just talking on the field stuff and, and we'll get into Nebraska's tight end picture too, and kind of where that stands. But um, this is a significant piece that they've added um, out of the transfer portal. And, you know, I, I, in talking to people who, you know, cover university of Georgia, who cover high school recruiting in Georgia, um, you know, Eric Gilbert is towards the top of their list for the, the best prospect they've ever covered. And you can tell the people at Georgia really cared about him. Um, I think that's important to note. I mean, Kirby Smart was asked about him a lot uh, because he was such a high profile recruit. And, uh, you know, they really want him to succeed, I think. And uh, put a lot of measures in place uh, to try to help him too. Um, so that's, I, I, I think with, with both the guys Nebraska got from Georgia, I think there's people in Athens who are going to be rooting pretty hard for them to take off uh, sort of know, knowing their stories and just wanting to see them succeed as individuals. Um, so that will be interesting, but going back to when Gilbert started at LSU, you know, sometimes people are like, okay, he was number five recruit overall. Where's the results? You know, he had 368 yards on 35 catches. And he, he was facing some double teams right off the bat his first year in college ball. That was the COVID season too. So LSU played only 10 games. So think about that. 368 in 10 games. I mean, we haven't seen that many Husker tight end seasons go above that, actually. I mean, there's been a few recently. Uh, but that's a number that a lot of Nebraska tight ends haven't hit. Um, so that's a heck of a number for your first year of college ball uh, when you're playing all the time. So there definitely is a, a, a high end of potential there. You also have to think, Bronson, don't you think Nebraska has to like these guys that have at least – they've seen that Georgia program and the workings of it up close – and like what it takes to be a champion. And obviously they're just surrounded by dogs. I mean, you talk about guys who can ball. I mean, everybody there, they only add like three or four, three stars in one of their classes recently. Everybody else was a four or five star. Um, so I have to think Nebraska likes that they come from that Kirby smart culture and they, they know what hard work looks like already. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I always think back, like when Nebraska was playing SEC teams in bowl games regularly, do you, you'd go to like, sometimes you'd go to like a Georgia practice or a South Carolina practice when they kind of had it rolling a little bit. And you, you, 
you went from Nebraska's practice to like an SEC team practice, and it was like you you were on like another planet. Like yeah. the the offensive and defensive linemen are are bigger, the wide receivers are bigger and faster, and you know those those are the types of players that Gilbert and Sherman you know have the ability to be. And those are the guys that they had to go up against every day in practice. Those were the guys that they were competing with uh, on the depth chart for snaps and reps and, and, and trying to, to get on the field. And, you know, I, I, it feels like this week there's kind of been this realization of, of looking at what Nebraska's transfer you know, list in is going to be this year. And it's a lot of power five programs and, I think it really helps when you're adding guys that come from a winning culture like Georgia has and, you know, that they know what the work it takes. They know uh, what they have to do. Um, And, and in both situations, I mean, I I think it's, (laughs) I mean, it's, it's kind of remarkable when you have the number five overall recruit in the country who was, you know, what third or fourth at best on, on the depth chart. And a guy like MJ Sherman, who, you know, was, was one spot away from being a five-star on the 24-7 sports composite rankings, uh, you know, essentially be a special teams player. So, um, you know, I, I think, you know, Matt Rule is, is very in tune with culture and, you know, the guys that he's bringing into his locker room. And, and right now, there, there's really not a, a better place that you can draw from uh, than the University of Georgia and what they're doing down there right now. Yeah, I, Nebraska did – they did their due diligence, uh, you know, in, in checking out those players from Georgia. And also, I mean, one of the things you have to say that's already stocked up here in Lincoln is – and I'm sure people in Georgia appreciate this because they want to see these guys succeed – is there is all the support system and, and the resources for a guy um, – to possibly have success that can help a, a player as, as he kind of hits the reset button and starts over. So, you know, hopefully that takes off uh, more for the person than the player, but obviously uh, both would be great if they happen for Nebraska. You were talking though about um, where Nebraska's got in their portal guys, 10 of them so far, just real quick. Okay. So two from Georgia, three from Florida, uh, one from Baylor and Fleeks, uh, Virginia, Arizona state, Texas A&M, Georgia Tech. That's a different look, Brunson, uh, portals pass, and I'm not knocking – I mean, Nebraska snagged some good guys like Toure and various guys who weren't from, like, Power 5 uh, programs, but that's that's a different makeup than we've seen in the past years. Yeah, I, I think that helps. I mean, I, I think it, it does when you're coming from, um, you know, those types of programs. And I – my sense with a lot of those guys too, is it, it's just, you know, you, you run into a lot of depth chart issues. Um, you know, I know with MJ Sherman, it was basically, you know, you, this is where you are in the depth chart. I think he wanted to, you know, all things equal, he would still be at Georgia right now. Um, but they basically said, you know, we we're bringing these guys in, this is what your role is going to be, um, you know, stay or go. And he left. And, you know, I, I think that's, the, the the case with a lot of these guys is it's just more opportunity, uh, maybe a different fit the second time around than maybe what they had. So, um, you know, the, the one thing that I think you can kind of count on is just how competitive the spring is going to be um, with, you know, these guys coming in, you've got, 
you know, what, 35 total new scholarship guys as of right now, and that number is going to grow. Um, so the the spring and fall camp is going to be uh, really fascinating to see how everything shakes out with, with uh, depth chart decisions and things like that. That can lead us into our next topic uh, because you could take the tight end position alone as a, just a sidebar. And it's a pretty good one. I mean, it's a, like how that's going to shake out because when you think about it, Nebraska now has the top rated tight end in the country from the 2020 class in Eric Gilbert, the top rated tight end in the country from the 21 class in Thomas Fedone. And, um, and then there's just these interesting guys who have sort of been on the cusp of maybe playing more. I mean, Nate Borkercher did play more. Um, He's like actually one of your more experienced guys. Chris Hickman's still around. Um, you know, he's been a, a veteran. Um, then there's like A.J. Rollins, who you'd kind of hear about from uh, Sean Becton last year as maybe being uh, near something, but we didn't see him a lot. James Carney, there's some walk-ons. It, there's, it's an interesting room. And then you you factor in that, that Bob Wager's taken over, a guy who's been a head coach so long in the Texas prep scene. Um kind of from a distance I kind of like that you, you get a guy in that room who's who's had to be in charge of a full squad of, down in Texas of 100 guys like I, I could see where that could be useful as he sort of navigates that room yeah and it's I I know in the past that that tight ends haven't had a huge piece in, in Matt Rule's offenses yeah. But I think when you look at what Marcus Satterfield has done with tight ends, I think he's been a little bit creative with them. And, you know, when you hear him talk a little bit more about, I mean, it, he says pro style, but I, I'm not thinking like, you know, West Coast offense, that kind of stuff. But it feels like there's a place in this offense for, you know, tight ends with kind of different skill sets. I mean, with 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 just Gilbert and Fedoni, you've got two guys that are, you know, kind of different styles of, of tight end and different bodies. They look different. And, you know, I, I think you can kind of mix and match and, and find some mismatches in, in opposing defenses with those two guys. If they're, you know, playing the way that, you, you know, you would expect them to obviously Fedoni with his injury history, we haven't seen much of it all. Um, and so I, I think there's a little bit of intrigue. You're right there. I mean, it, you need a little bit more of the young depth to kind of rise up. Um, you, you need some development from Rollins. He was a guy, you mentioned him that, you know, we heard a little bit about, he traveled, I think late in the year to a number of road games. Um, so I, I think he would probably be considered the next up of whatever that group is the next group. Um, you know, you got Chase Androff, who's a little bit of yeah. a, a bigger body uh, in that room too. So there, there's some clay to work with there. Um, we'll talk a little bit about it later, but I mean, they're bringing in another kind of flex hybrid tight end for a visit this weekend and Ismael, mm-hmm. Ismael Smith Flores. Um, but I mean, it, it feels like when you and I had talked previously, tight end was kind of a big concern. I mean, wh- what is the addition of Gilbert kind of do to your thinking in terms of where the concern level is now? Uh, well, I mean, if, if, if things are sorted out and he feels ready to roll, uh, you know, on the field for Nebraska, by the time the fall shows up and, and gets all the practices in his talent, uh, immediately changes the the look of that thing in a hurry, like where you feel a lot better. I mean, he, the, 
I, I keep going back to that first year at LSU. This guy can obviously play when he's when he's uh, involved in in all in everything within the program. And so, um, you know, he took a year away from the game, uh, a fall away from the game in 21. Um, so he's kind of been coming back from that and working some things out. But if that happens, um, there's no reason why he can't succeed just because he's basically, and I said we would avoid the hype, but this is, <laughs> this is true when you talk about it. He's basically like a defensive end who can run like a receiver. And it's like sort of, this will be hype here. Um, remember when we were watching a Friday night lights and Micah Parsons decided, Hey, Oh man. Yep. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying like, you understand, like we're talking about yeah. that type of prospect, like yep. as a body type and not that he's Micah Parsons, and all that. but Micah Parsons, a defender decides I'm going to run some routes against a four-star DB and he goes and burns him for a touchdown. And I thought of that image, like with with Eric Gilbert, just like a guy who's actually got a frame where he could be something else, or you would, in most cases, put him in this category as a player. And he's actually a dude that linebackers have to try to cover in space at 6'5", 248. Um, that's, that's pretty good if, that's wor- if everything's working, you know? Like, so um, there's a lot to like there as far as the football part. I'm just as excited, honestly, to see what happens with Fedone. Like, I want to see a full runway into a season. Uh, obviously, he does, too, where he doesn't get injured. And um, it always seemed like he was right on the fringe of doing something when those injuries would pop up, judging by Coach's comments. And he has stayed engaged. Um, and I think all those guys in that room have to be sort of excited, like, hey, the door is swinging wide open. You know, even with this new addition, we're going to need two, three, four of you guys is what a coach is going to say. And uh, there's going to be big opportunity for somebody. Yeah. I mean, and it's even, you know, not even an inline tight end. I mean, I could I could foresee, you know, H-back type roles um, for some of those guys, you know, moving them around formations. I know with Smith Flores, he's told me that, you know, that that's kind of how they see him fitting. And I, I think you can kind of extrapolate that out to kind of how the tight ends in general are going to work, but it it's, you know, not going to be the, the typical, you know, lumbering type tight end. They're going to try to get mismatches uh, with those athletic guys on the edge. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, <laughs> it, it's, uh, the tight end position is always interesting to me at Nebraska because it always feels like, you know, it, it's being set up to, be used and have success and guys are are dialed in and ready to go. And it, it never quite lines up. So we'll see if this staff can, can break that, that chain of uh chain of events in recent time. Yeah. Well, the, we can now work into, um, as you mentioned, one of the visitors this weekend um, has a tight end component to his game. Um, so you want to, you want to talk visitors? Should we get into that? Yeah, let's do it. 
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Okay, so Nebraska is not done at all yet. Um, there has not been a sleepy day around here and, uh, there still isn't, um, let's go through some of the guys. We, well, we already know Demetrius Bell is in town. He already did. My favorite thing in Twitter is when guys just put the the little red pin down. I'm here. You know, you should should start doing that. Like when you just go random places, like high V pin. Yeah. Like just make it happen. Just do it for a full day. Still yeah. watching your follower account dwindle. Yeah. 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 That would be kind of funny. Um, <laughs> Commit to the bit. That's what you got to do. Yeah. So uh, Demetrius Bell, Bell has put the pin down. He's in Lincoln. Um, Jer- Jeremiah Charles is uh, another interesting prospect. Wide receiver, 6'2", 170. Freak athlete. I get Bryce Turner vibes from him. People remember they offered – and Bryce Turner accepted immediately. Um, he was just a, a track star, could fly, and had all these measurables. You're like, okay, we'll sign him up, and we're going to make something out of him. There's a little bit of that with Jeremiah Charles. We'll get more into that. Uh, Sue Lafotu. Um, he could help as a defensive end, right? Nose tackle. Nose he could tackle. be a lot of different things. Yeah, yep. Depending uh, on what they played. Yeah, could be an interior guy. He's got good length, I think, could potentially be on, on the edge. Um, but, yeah, def- definitely defensive side of the ball there. He, he was committed to Washington at one point, but Nebraska has really emerged as a as a school of intrigue uh, for him. Um, Ismail Smith-Flores, you would consider him a tight end wide receiver hybrid? Yes, yeah, definitely. Um, kind of a, along the – the, the Fedoni type, um, they, they would be more flexing him out, moving him around uh, formations, that kind of thing. And he uh, played for a year for Bob Wager yep. in Arlington, Texas. So there's a lot of familiarity there. Of course, there is with Jeremiah Charles, too, um, from the same place. So um, there's sort of, I think, a, a feeling that Nebraska is in a good position with those guys, you'd say, because of that relationship. It doesn't hurt. Yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard to really work around that. Yeah. Um, they also have um, Jason. What's his last? How do you say Jason's last name? It's it's Machachok. Really? Yeah. Machachok. Machachok. I like that. Jason Machachok. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. I was not pronouncing it like that. I just called him Jason M. Jason yeah. Machachok. Jason M is also visiting because he. He's already signed up, ready to roll, uh, but he uh, did not get the chance because of a blizzard that kind of hit 
blizzard-ish conditions that hit the uh, South Dakota area when he wanted to visit just before early signing day. He's still committed and signed with Nebraska, uh, but he's coming in. He could be an O-lineman or D-lineman. He's listed as both. He is going to start at offensive lineman, he told me last week, and we did a big feature story on him. And I think if people go to our site and find it, they'll really like what he's about. So where do you want to start with all that? There could be a surprise visitor or two. I'm not going to mention names at this point. We pop one of those names on our site, but um, that's a possibility or someone to watch. But what what has your eye, Bruns? Um, well, I, I, the the two guys from, from Arlington Martin, Smith Flores and Charles, are, are interesting to me. I mean, it, Smith Flores, he was the guy that, you know, the second Bob Wager was, you know, at least connected to the Nebraska job. It's like, okay, this is a guy that Nebraska is probably going to pursue. They ended up pursuing him. Um, He's got an interesting story. His dad was an all American defensive lineman at Iowa and primarily a basketball player. Dad would not let him play football for the longest time. Um, He eventually kind of wore him down uh, his senior year and uh, goes out for the football team as a wide receiver, just tr- strictly wide out. Um, has a decent year. His recruitment kind of starts to take off. Um, you know, Iowa offers. Nebraska jumps in uh, after Bob Wager uh, came to Nebraska. Um, he officially visited Rutgers last weekend. He's actually got quite a few connections to the Rutgers program. His cousin, uh, he's got a couple cousins that have played for Rutgers. In fact, one was his official visit host last weekend. Um, but he's still new to football. Uh, he admitted to me, you know, I'm incredibly raw. Um, I, I think that relationship with Wager is going to be really important. Um, you know, he, he, he said as much to me uh, when I talked to him. So uh, he would be a tight, be coming in as a tight end. I think he's got, you know, the frame to add uh, weight. And then his teammate, uh, Jeremiah Charles, kind of a similar situation. Um, new to football or new to football. He's been a basketball player. He's the, uh, does the jumps and track. So, uh, has some explosiveness there. Matt rule, Bob Wager and, and some of Nebraska's staff were actually down to watch a basketball game, um, and offered him afterwards. And Nebraska's pretty much his only offer at this point. Um, you know, I think Bob Wager, has a pretty good idea of what Nebraska would be getting with him. A uh, slot wide receiver. I think he would be more kind of a developmental guy uh, given his newness to the game. But um, I mean, I, I would be very surprised if, if he's not a, a Nebraska football commit by the time everything's said and done, just based on how things are lining up right now. But both kind of, you know, Matt rule specials in some ways where it's guys that you can, you know, really kind of mold their game and, um, you know, have the kind of athleticism that the staff covets and those skill position players. Yeah. And uh, basically a a thought of we're not worried about what anybody else thinks about this. We believe in our eval and uh, there you go. Uh, we have the measurables in front of us. And, And I think to them, it's a, it's a huge deal when a guy has like that track time or that jump, the jump, numbers and it's just like you know the explosiveness is there and 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 you can teach some of the other factors now obviously you have to have some degree of like something on film football wise that shows like um 
you're through a couple chapters of the book at least. And yeah. uh, Charles had that. I mean, he had he was he made some explosive plays in that offense, and uh, sort of for a first year guy, you'd have to say did pretty well. So I think when you look at all these guys that are raw, and they have like we'll see if he commits, but we they have like three or four guys I can think of already that are like kind of one year players. Um, Vincent Carroll Jackson is an example of that on the defensive side of the ball. And uh, if you look at Vincent's first year, though, you'd say, okay, I see it. Like all these guys, you, there's a glimpse of what's there. It's not just like, you know, uh, blindfold on about their football skills. So I think that's important to note, even though some of these guys are raw, as you say, and will take a little bit of time. One guy I failed to mention um, in the lead in was, uh, Aaron Hampton, who's also said he's visiting. He's a 24 recruit out of Texas, uh, defensive back. Um, he's pretty interesting because you remember on early signing day rule was just talking about a prospect in Texas. He would, generally speaking, he didn't say any names or anything. Uh, Aaron Hampton though, took it that it could have been him and, and was excited about it and, and tweeted about it. But in any fashion, um, he definitely has a high level of intrigue in Nebraska. And I think it's fresh off an Alabama visit too. So he's, uh, uh, Nebraska's going after it. They've got this interesting dynamic Browns where there's guys like Jeremiah Charles, who they're the only offer. And then there are, they're the complete other end of the spectrum where Nebraska is totally going head to head with the biggest dogs in football right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's, I, I think what they've done is, is you, especially in the state of Texas. I mean, I, I think they're aiming a little bit higher there. And I, I think it's what they're, what they've done the last couple of weeks is they've really flooded assistant coaches into Texas. Matt rule has spent a ton of time down there. Um, you know, Terrence Knighton's been in Houston. You have, you've had Bob Wager up around Dallas. Uh, Garrett McGuire has been getting around now uh, quite a bit. And, you know, it, it's, it's the signal by being there that Texas is going to be really important. And, you know, I, I think given Matt Rule's connections in the state, the staff's connections down there, I think, you know, I, I've, you know, talked to a few recruits down there that are really taking notice of that. And you've got coaches vouching for Rule uh, and some of his assistants too. And I, I think that's, you know, you're starting to see more offers to the top two, four, seven guys, uh, and those types of guys in Texas. Um, you know, they've been down to see Dylan Rayola twice already um, in, in January. Matt Rule was down there. Marcus Satterfield was down there too. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's – you're kind of operating in two worlds right now where you're you're looking for the Bryce Turners and the, the Jalen Lloyds, the guys that are just, you know, athletic freaks who maybe don't have the, the stars behind their names. And then you've got the guys that have the stars behind their names that, that you know, the staff is also going to swing for. So – that's the recipe. I mean, I, I think, you know, as much as people were talking when Matt Rule came, that it's going to be a lot of, you know, offers to guys you've never heard of and, and that kind of thing. That's true. But I think they're also willing to leverage the power that kind of comes with Nebraska and that name and, and the big end too. You said the name. So I'm going to ask you about him because you know how like ESPN just they're like, Dallas Cowboys. They just like, it's like, we'll just talk about Dallas Cowboys. We know we'll get ratings, whether people like hearing about it or not. Um, Dylan Riola is like the name 
with Nebraska football right now, it's just like put it up there anywhere and people are like, okay, I'm going to read that or I'm going to think about that a little bit. Um, it was interesting. Rule went right down there uh, last week uh, to Arizona. Um, I think people have kind of thought Georgia could have the upper hand as a favorite right now. But uh, then uh, Dominic Riola, Dylan's father, tells Steve Wiltfong, you know, it's wide open. Uh, it, you know, we're, we're considering all the options. Obviously, they have a deep connection with Nebraska. What do you what do you think about that right now as you kind of gauge where that one's going? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Nebraska Nebraska is going to be in the mix. I mean, you know, when he de- decommitted from Ohio State, um, you know, there, there's a lot of connections between the Rayola family and Nebraska. And I think Matt Rule is, you know, going to take his swing. I mean, when you when you have a connection to the number one player in a class, I mean, it, it behooves a head coach to play that string out as long as you can. And, you know, they're, they're going to take their swing. I think Nebraska feels like they can be competitive in the NIL game with that. And, you know, they're, they're up against Georgia, USC. I, I think there's some other, you know, big programs that are going to be in that conversation too. But, um, you know, I, I think for, for Matt Rule, it's going to be, you know, keep pursuing until, until it's over. And, um, you know, do I, do I think Nebraska is, you know, close to the lead for him? No, not necessarily, but I think, I think they're more in the mix than they were six months ago uh, mm-hmm. or, or last spring. I mean, I, I, I think that's um, certainly true. So yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I mean, but you're right. I mean, he's uh, you know, the, the number one, number one quarterback, number one recruit in the country. And uh, you know, Matt rule is not being shy about, Nebraska's interest in him, which I mean, that's that's how you have to play it, especially when you're a program that, you know, has, has been down for as long as Nebraska has. You know, as I listen to people talk, um, I don't feel as bad at a press conference that I said, hey, Matt Rule, um, before I asked the question, because I noticed everybody always uses his full name now. So I, I think it's like in the brain and that's what happened there. But because everybody's like Matt Rule. Yeah, uh, it, it's not it rolls just off rule. the tongue. Yeah, it does kind of. Uh, so that's the excuse for that. People didn't even know that happened. I, it's still in my head, though. But anyway, uh, it is going to be a big weekend um, ahead for Nebraska. I expect some there's there could be some booms. Um, you know, it, it feels like uh, it's not slowing down yet. Maybe there'll be a surprise or two. You're you're always prepared right now. Um, you don't know necessarily always what the surprise is going to be, Bruns, but it feels like you're you kind of wake up like there could be one today. You know, that's sort of what's been happening with Husker football over the last few weeks. Yeah. I mean, you you kind of have the smell and salts at the desk. You you get ready for the morning and just kind of get to work. I mean, that's uh that's where you're at right now. And then, salt, huh? Yeah. Just got them in the drawer, <laughs> in the drawer right here. Just, uh, whew, gets, gets you going. It's like, uh, it's like, it's better than coffee. So, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's the way the staff is recruiting. Um, I mean, we'll have ample time to talk about it, but I'm not great at math, but the staff is going to have some work to do to get back to 85. Um, <laughs> yes, by, by, by the time, uh, fall camp rolls around i think they'll get there they have to get there so um you know that that'll be fascinating to see but um yeah i, I think this weekend you know you, once you get down to the end a little bit i i think it uh 
you, you kind of close at a higher percentage if you're bringing guys in this late in the process. This is probably one of many weak spots in my game, but I'll admit, you know, some people get fired up day to day about the scholarship chart and like following it, like, oh, how are they going to get down there? And I always just think to myself, they'll do it. You know, like it's not my job to figure out how to do it, but they'll do it and uh, we'll chronicle it as they do it. And but I mean, there's always a thought like how in the world can they it'll happen. So, yeah. you know, there's going to be some some guys who who leave after the spring and stuff like that. Obviously, they have to. Um, receivers pretty interesting as we talk. I, I don't want to get into a whole topic about it, but I mean, as you think about who they have piled up a wide receiver, that's becoming a pretty loaded room in numbers all of a sudden. Yeah, you've got a nice mix of veteran guys and really young guys. And, you know, even, you know, bringing in a guy like Jeremiah Charles, I mean, you might say, oh, well, they've got, you know, all these these young wide receivers that, you know, are, are going to be battling for snaps and stuff in the spring. And while that's true, um, you, you have to keep kind of replenishing the stock. And. I would expect that's a that's a position group where you're probably going to lose some of those young guys in the spring. That that's just how it shakes out. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I I get the hand wringing about scholarship numbers, but I mean, it's they know what the number is. They know how they got to get, you know, when they got to get there, and it'll happen. It always does. Yeah, I think they're going to carry uh, six QB scholarship guys into the <laughs> Minnesota game. Uh. I, I it would be a, a miracle of modern football if somehow they have the entire group um you know to choose from when they're making that 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 uh travel roster. Yeah. Um well we can finish it up here with uh, a little hoops talk. Yeah. Uh if that works. Yeah. Um you know what? They pull you back in just when you're like, <laughs> all right, fine, we'll go, we'll just go cover recruiting and that'll be that. Um they go beat Ohio State 63-60 to 60 on Wednesday night on a snowy night in Lincoln. Decent crowd for the circumstances. I got to give people props who made it there. It, was, it wasn't the usual crowd, but they got fired up after the Hoiberg technical. When he got teed up, people, they were with Fred on that. They, they thought the boys were getting jobbed. The fouls were 6-2 to two at that point. Nebraska had six of them. And... Uh, it was fun to – I liked seeing Fred get – I was like, they're going to team up. They're going to do it. Like You know, like when you see a building and you almost want it to happen? Yeah. And uh, Denham Dawson said he liked it too. So that was a nice win. And now they play at Penn State Saturday, then Northwestern at home Tuesday. Those aren't easy games by any means, especially when Jawan Gary's out for the season. Uh, but they're 10-9. and nine. They're 3-5 and five in the league. And um, this is a big, like, four to five days for this team. We could say that every every time we do this probably. But these are games you could get. And if you somehow were able to squeeze out a couple wins, suddenly, who knows, we're talking big. But what do you think? Yeah, no, it's – it's they're big. Um, I mean, Penn State and Northwestern are not the Penn State and Northwestern that you would generally associate no. with those schools. Um, they're not. They're – both playing pretty good basketball. You mentioned Gary. They, they didn't have him against Ohio State. They shook up the starting lineup a little bit. What, I guess, how confident are you in Nebraska's ability to keep it between the ditches with Gary out? Because 
he was playing good basketball and there were that, I mean, that Minnesota game, he made two plays that basically helped them win that game. I mean, how, how, how does Nebraska make this work without him? I think it's going to be pretty tough actually. I mean, I, I really wish we could watch this team to, through March with Gary, because I think it could be very interesting if that were the case, because go back to the Minnesota game just before he got injured. Like he was a difference say why they won that game. He had 18 points, 11 rebounds. He had the putbacks, the, the one in OT. He's just a junkyard dog. And um, he, you can't really easily replace that. You need multiple guys to do it. Now, young Denim Dawson is like a younger Gary. Like he's coming up and he can be that type of guy, I think, in time. And he is just an incredible effort guy. I tweeted out, it was the Husker Hoop Central account that tweeted it, give them the credit for it. But there was a play where Denim Dawson gets knocked to the ground. And he runs all the way back. He's completely out of the play just to factor in to contest a shot. And uh, they end up, the Buckeye ends up missing it. Uh, but that was seriously one of those plays like any coach would want to show like over and over again to his team of like what it's supposed to look like hustle wise. And that's what Denim Dawson's about. And I say all that to lead into this point. The one thing that I appreciated Wednesday night and I think some Husker fans who follow hoops closely did is to me, it moved the needle a little bit like, okay, I see something with Denim and Jamarcus that you can build on. And that's interesting to me. When you give me something where I can say, okay, these guys can be here for another year or two or three or whatever it's going to be. You never know in college sports anymore, but they're going to be around maybe for a while and they're showing signs that they can be something that makes me sit up in my chair a little bit, no matter how the season's going, because then I'm watching guys I feel like are going to, you know, they're going to be here. And um, that's why last year sucked, honestly, is because you watched a team where you didn't think a bunch of the key guys would necessarily be back. So your people are like, what's the point? And I felt like Wednesday was one of those moments when you saw those two guys playing and even Oleg where you're like, OK, there's something there, maybe. Yeah, and it's I, – I think that's <laughs> – in, in some ways with Nebraska basketball, like you're kind of riding this wave and you're like, we, we don't want to look too far ahead. We don't want to see what's in the future there. But, I mean, that's that's a question in the back of, I think, a lot of people's minds. I've been asked you know, on radio shows about this, like what, what what's the build? Like what's the next step? And I, I think that's that's an important thing to get figured out here in January and February. Um regardless of, you know, what, how things kind of go for Nebraska is what can you carry into next season or who is going to be that next step for you, given who they're going to lose. Uh, Wiltshire came off the bench the other, the other night. Yeah. Um, the, the, that spot, the Tominaga Wiltshire place that that's where you've got to get a little bit of scoring punch to make up for Gary. Right. Yeah, they need uh, like somebody need those, has to. Yeah, somebody's got to be able to start hitting some shots from deep. I mean, the fact they won the game on Wednesday was a bit of a stunner because they were so awful in the first half on offense. So was Ohio State, though. Uh, but Nebraska shot thirty percent in the first half. Then they shot fifty-three percent in the second half. But if you think about their resume so far, they really haven't had many, or I don't even know if you could say 
more than one or two games where you've thought like they really had it together on offense for 40 minutes or even like 35 minutes. And that's what needs to start to happen. And um, it's going to be tough though, because they just have some guys who are key guys who aren't necessarily known as dead eye shooters, you know, like Grissel does a lot of really good things, but that's not necessarily what he's known for Bandamel the same way. So yeah, I think Wilcher and Tomonaga have to be those guys who, that's sort of your role. When when those openings are there, um, they need them to catch fire. If you want hope, Wilshire, Fred Hoiberg pointed this out the other night. He was 33% before New Year's last year from behind the arc. And then after New Year's, he was above 50%. And so he started off cold again this year. So you hope maybe he, he puts up a sequel to what he did last year in that regard. All right. So Penn, at Penn State... Northwestern, and then they Illinois on the 31st, right? That's Am I missing anybody else in there? No, I think that I'm not looking at it right offhand, but I know those are the next two, and then I think you're right with, with Illinois. I mean, Nebraska's 3-5 and five in the league, but three of those losses are to the teams that take up the top two spaces in the standings right now. I mean, two were to Purdue and then one to uh, Michigan State. Um, and then Illinois, who uh, some people were saying until last night was the, you know, the most talented team in the league. And then uh, Nebraska lost to them. And uh, the team Illinois got beat by Indiana is who Nebraska lost to. So, I mean, it, it has been quality, if you want to use that word, quality losses that is on Nebraska's resume. Uh, it's too bad, frankly, they don't have that Purdue one in Lincoln because if they had that one in their pocket and we're 11 and eight right now and four and four in the league and at beaten Purdue, I don't know. It'd be, you would just, you would hear a little bit more whispering about stuff. Um, but right now it's about, can they kind of keep it above 500 and give you a shot at the postseason and see those young guys grow, you know, yeah. just uh, that's the biggest thing really in the big picture. <laughs> yeah. You'd be looking at things a little bit differently if you had a home win over Purdue you beat Creighton. You, you've already got Iowa at home too. So, um, and Iowa's played pretty well since that game. They picked um, it up. Yeah. So that one, that's a nice win for Nebraska, but we'll see. I mean, uh, the thing they haven't done well as we'll finish it off here is they haven't uh, followed up success in a, in a great fashion this season. So we'll see if they can do that at Penn state, who, as you mentioned, is not like, a bad team. I mean, sometimes we get these, I, I know, you know, Rutgers used to be thought of that way. Now people are smart enough to know Rutgers is a freaking bulldog to take on. Yep. Um, so we'll see what happens Saturday. They we'll see if they can go on the road and, and steal one, but uh, it'll be a busy weekend regardless. Uh, we'll have coverage of that game, but certainly all the recruiting stuff, it's just going to keep going for a while and that's fine with us. Uh, anything else to say brunch? Are you all good? I'm good. I'm talked out. Get us out I'm of here. I'm all talked out, too. So uh, with that, we encourage you to come to Husker 24-7. Uh, for all the latest, there will be plenty on there.